Welcome to Settle the Far. This is Corey Garvey, and this is the podcast where I sit down and I talk to people who have made big jumps in their lives about going to a new career, a new location, a new community, what it was that motivated them to make that change, and what that process was like, and finally, looking back, what they feel like they've learned throughout it all. Uh, I hope everyone out there is doing well. Right now, I am sitting in London, about to start week six, I think, of the quarantine, uh, social distancing that's going on here. And for me, this has been a very, you know, uh, large change to my life, obviously, but, but something that is, in a lot of ways, bringing to other people the things that I, as somebody who lives far away from my friends and family, who works in a company that is very remote, is very normal to me. Uh, I constantly am having meetings over video calls or, or conversations with my mom, my my friends, my family members over video calls. So hopefully the rest of you out there are getting used to that and that for some of you who felt like you wouldn't know what to do if you were going to be away from certain people or that maybe you felt like you could do your work from home, you could do it remotely and you weren't sure you wanted to make the jump, I hope this is convincing you a little bit more of what that's like because as uh, I think is an important way to look at any large change in life, the best thing to do is just to test it out, see how it feels, see what it's like. And there's been no better way to do that with remote working, with remote relationships than what we've seen so far. Upcoming, I'll have a couple pods on, um, on this exact topic. And I talked with some people today about that and what the future of remote work really looks like. How, how do we expect that these changes and this little test scenario is going to change the minds of different companies and different industries and stuff like that. Um, personally, I am trying to be more patient with a lot of the little tasks and habits and, and routines that I'm getting going myself. So as you may have noticed, I, uh, I didn't start off with an inspiration of the week here, but I will be bringing that back in time. Right now I'm focusing on the content, on the interviews that I've been doing, and just making sure I get more people onto the pod to be able to, uh, to have interesting guests and get into what is the meat of it, which is this process of <clears throat> reaching beyond uh, maybe what we feel is what we what we should be doing in our lives, what kind of job we should have or community we should be in or where we should live to go out and, and test out the boundaries and see if there's something else out there. So on that, if you have any recommendations for guests, any um, specific people you think I should talk to or, or just any thoughts on what you would like to hear on the show, please reach out. Hit me up at podcast.coreygarvey.com or on Twitter at Corey B. Garvey. You can find Settle the Far on iTunes, Spotify, and the Google Play Store. Um, please subscribe. Give me a review. Let me know what you think. Any channel that works for you works for me. So just let me know what you think. Today is a conversation I had with Dodd Gray. Dodd is... Someone who moved from the Midwest of the United States, lived in a few different areas, including Indiana, for a large part of his, his life, uh, as well as his adult life, before moving 18 years ago to Brussels, Belgium. And in Brussels, he brought his family along. He and his wife had another daughter while there, and they were, uh, he was able to kind of transition both his social and family life, as well as his uh, career life, over to Europe. And for that reason, it's been... It was especially, I guess, uh, he was someone I especially wanted to speak with myself as someone who has moved to Europe recently and is going through this process of understanding what it's like to raise a child, what it's like to have a career so far away from your own country 
and yet not want to feel like you are um, sort of away from all the action, from everything going on with my family, with my friends, things like that. So Dodd was someone I knew I wanted to talk to right away when I started this podcast. And I would say getting some of the answers out of him is, is a large reason why I started the podcast. So as someone who is sort of an adult who can speak through what his experiences have been like and really has great, um, he has a great vantage point for me, for, for me jumping into this myself because he's been through a lot of these same things already. I think you'll get a lot out of this. If you are someone who is thinking about moving, it is great to hear someone who is as confident as they are after uh, almost two decades of being away from the United States and even if you're you're just interested in sort of hearing what those struggles might be, um, he he really breaks it down well. He's very eloquent. So, without further ado, enjoy this conversation with Dodd Gray. Hey, Dodd, how's it going? Thanks for joining me. It's going very well. It's good to talk to you. So, right now you are in Belgium, in Brussels. Is that correct? That is correct. And I have spent time with you several times in the United States, but I'm happy that we're going to get a chance to catch up on how you actually got yourself to Brussels and how the family made its way there. So to start things off, maybe going back, you can give a little summary of how, what your childhood was like, what growing up was like, um, maybe where you, where you grew up and sort of entered into and went through high school? Sure. Um, so uh, I guess the first thing I'll mention is, uh, as a guest, I'm a little bit older than, say, the uh, uh, other people that you've uh, had opportunities to have conversations with uh, up to this point. I, I'm 56. Um, I was uh, born uh, in Kansas. Um, uh, that's where my uh, both of my parents were from. And uh, we lived there for a few years, but uh, my father uh, had joined um, uh, a company uh, upon graduating from university there that actually moved him uh, and as a result the family around quite a bit. So uh, by the time I was eight, we had moved from Kansas to Texas back to uh, Wichita, Kansas, then to Iowa, then to Missouri. And then uh, when I was about eight years old, the family moved again uh, to another location in Iowa. And uh, we, we actually stayed there for uh, uh, a number of years. So we were there for uh, uh, about seven years. Uh, and then uh, when I was halfway through my 10th grade year of high school, the family moved again, and uh, the company relocated us to um, uh, a town called Richmond, Indiana, uh, where, which is where I uh, finished high school. However, by the time I'd, uh, uh, I actually graduated from high school, my father and uh, family had moved again uh, to another city in Indiana, and I uh, actually stayed behind the last couple of months living with family friends until graduation before I joined them uh, 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 in Fort Wayne after that. So we moved around quite a bit when I was younger. Yeah, it sounds like it did. And you ended up after that going to school in Indiana? Yes. Yeah. So uh, from there, 
I went uh, to Purdue University, which is located in Indiana. So, um, uh, and then as a, after I completed uh, Purdue, um, I worked for a couple of years. At, the, at that time, I had relocated to Columbus, Ohio, and uh, had married uh, my wife, who I met while I was at Purdue. Um, uh, she was a year behind me in school. We got married when she graduated. And then uh, after working for a short period of time, I ended up going back to uh, law school in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, and that's where I uh, finished my degree. And then when I uh, finished my studies there, I took a job with a law firm in Indianapolis and we moved back. So I would say, despite all the moving around yeah. as a kid, we more or less consider Indiana to be home. Uh, it's uh, where both uh, my family is now. Uh, my father passed away, but my mother is there, uh, along with one of my two brothers. And uh, my wife has a number of siblings there. And having, she was born and raised in Indianapolis and went to Purdue as well. So having graduated from high school uh, in Indiana, uh, uh, having gone to university there, and then having moved there after I finished my studies and worked for a number of years. It's it's very much home, even though it's not uh, a state in which I was born. Yeah, sure. And when you were traveling as a kid, were you aware of sort of the somewhat unusualness of moving to different places all the time? And, and was that something that frustrated you as a kid? Were you like affected by that? I, I would... Uh, I would say that uh, uh, up until eight, the answer would be no. And I, I'm not sure that it was that unusual. I think uh, uh, for uh, professionals in U.S. companies uh, back then, it was not uncommon uh, when they transferred the employee. You know, it's like they would move people around every couple of years as they tried to provide development opportunities and uh, had different needs. So it wasn't... Uh, um, it, it wasn't, I, I don't know how unusual it was. I, I would say I didn't really understand or appreciate the impact until I had to move um, when I was uh, 14 or 15 when we moved from Iowa to Indiana. Uh, I, I think generally moving children uh, when they're still in elementary school is uh, not a significant factor. Maybe it wasn't because I had done it a number of times. If I'd only done it once, it, it, it may have been more of a, a, a shock when I moved uh, from Missouri to uh, uh, Iowa when I was eight. But uh, it, it was the later move that was more difficult. Yeah. And at the time, were you playing sports? Were you an athlete? Uh, not a good one. Uh, you know, so uh, I, I did. I participated, but it was uh, it was one of those things where it was more because that's what you did with your friends. You continued on. Actually, I was relatively small uh, for my age. I had a growth spurt that came uh, later. Uh, so I did. I, I, I played uh, football and uh, I wrestled uh, and I did other things. I would say Iowa is a state that's known for its wrestling. And I think they were probably disappointed when I got to Indiana and they saw they thought, oh, somebody's coming from Iowa who's a, who's a wrestler. And then it's like, oh, not really much of one. So uh, 
I, I did participate. Honestly, I participated with my friends in Iowa up through basically that sophomore year of high school when I, um, uh, in multiple sports. And then when we went to Indiana, uh, it was a large high school and, you know, not having a significant amount of athletic ability. I, I ended up, I, I did wrestle all through high school, but uh, uh, again, I was not that good at sure. it. So when you were moving around and then you moved to Indiana in the middle of your um, sophomore year of high school, what about that transition? And I would imagine it's friends and, and the people you know, but is there anything you can remember? Because me personally, I grew up in the same town. I was with all the same people throughout my entire life through high school. And in a lot of ways, it was the best thing that had happened to me up until I got to college. Um, and I think afterwards, having moved, it's hard for me now. I don't have any kids or anything, but I think about what it would be like to move and sort of disrupt that from from having children myself. Did you Did you have that feeling leaving high school? Was there some sort of resentment, for lack of a better word, about moving at such a critical time and sort of having to leave your friends that you thought in the future, I'm going to act differently. I'm going to. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It was very much a formative experience. Uh, I'm not the most outgoing person. Uh, so moving to a new environment uh, and a new high school at that stage is difficult. Um, especially uh, the, the town we moved to was a town of about, say, 40, 45,000 people. It had one high school re relatively large, probably uh, about six to 700 kids per uh, uh, grade level. Uh, but it, it wasn't a highly transient community. So uh, I would say most of the people there uh, had had um, uh, a growing up like yours, where they were going to school with people that they had known since grade school. I mean, it was a large enough community that there were multiple middle schools that fed into the high school. So it's not like you showed up and you knew everybody, but it wasn't like there was a high level of turnover in this community. So somebody coming in from the outside, um, especially if you don't have a unique skill, you know, again, you'd asked about athletics, if you were a good athlete and you, you know, might stand out that way. Uh, or you may have some other um, a a skill or attribute that helps you stand out. But if you don't, uh, it's, it's difficult to break in with a group of people who've been together uh, yeah. for a long time. So certainly it's, uh, they had friends and they weren't necessarily looking uh, for new ones. Uh, you know, eventually I did make some very good friends there, uh, but it took a while. Uh, and I, I moved, uh, I had a, my older brother was one year ahead of me. Uh, in the high school, and I think uh, we both, um, uh, you know, struggled a little bit uh, initially, eventually found our footing, but it, it, it took some time, and it was a relatively uh, lonely uh, uh, lonely existence. So, you know, as a result, uh, as I considered what I was going to do professionally uh, uh, in the future, I, I certainly thought about that and wanted to have a higher level of control where I wasn't just um, an employee of an organization that would uh, tell me when and where I had to go. Uh, and I'm sure more went into the decisions 
that my parents made to accept assignments and move than I give them credit for. Sure. You know, it, it isn't as if they said go and they and, and they they went anywhere, but uh, uh, still there was a perception that that was the way when you're a kid, and uh, it was something that I uh, uh, I uh, didn't want to subject my self or my family too in the future. So uh, honestly, when I was first considering uh, professions, I wanted to be a veterinarian for a long time. So uh, initially, when I went to university, I was planning to study veterinary medicine. Turns out that I was allergic to everything with four legs and hair. So uh, we needed to call an audible uh, yeah. uh, just as, as that was starting. I just had some allergies that developed a little later in life. Uh, I'm not totally clueless. Uh, but uh, uh, anyway, so I had to make uh, some changes there. And then eventually I ended up, uh, I did get a, a, my undergraduate degree was in uh, general business finance. Uh, uh, so that would certainly put you in a position to join an organization that could uh, 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 move you around as we've talked about. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 but uh, when I decided to go back to graduate school, instead of furthering a business education, I went to law school. Sure. And just keeping on the moves and sort of how you were feeling in looking ahead and, and what you thought might be the right career choice for you based on some of that, um, was there a feeling at at any point after going to to college and even going to law school after that that the constant moving or multiple moves and especially at a point where you're in high school and it's hard it's hard to make new friends it's hard to jump into a big school like you're like you're talking about um that that was valuable in ways that maybe your parents might have foreseen or that like at the time it was hard for you to really understand the value of it because you're just ticked off that you have to enter a new school but going to college now you have a little bit of experience in meeting new people or something like that was that has that been something that has come back to you or is that just like a, a fallacy that people like to tell no, no, when... no 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 i think that's a truism i think that you know any time that you're uh subjected either to challenge or something different uh, even if you don't realize it at the time, there are lessons that you can take from that, and and uh, uh, yeah, yeah, you, you're you're stronger and better because you've seen something before. I mean, I think about that also professionally. There've been there have been things that I have done where, um, for example, the job that I took out of undergraduate it was I was a technical sales representative for a specialty contractor. Uh, and it's a, a job I honestly don't think I was very good at. <laughs> uh, I wasn't uh, tremendously successful. And after doing that for about a year and a half, I, uh, I went back to graduate school. But even now, uh, I reflect back on what I learned uh, from a work experience where I don't think I was uh, personally very successful. And I uh, take lessons from that, and it makes me appreciate the challenge associated with that role uh, that I have to deal with, you know, it, w with individuals and in the companies that I've worked for since then that have those types of sales roles, where um, uh, being an attorney within a company, uh, often you're dealing with uh, uh, compliance matters or other things like that. And it's good to have an appreciation of the challenges that these individuals are, uh, those individuals are up against uh, as you uh, 
try and work with and uh, uh, counsel them. So sure. I, yeah, yeah, it's uh, very much so. It's uh, and I would say when we um, made our move uh, to Brussels, and I know that we'll get to this a little more specifically later. Uh, the thing that my uh, son heard at the time, and he was just about to turn 13, wasn't terribly keen on the move because he'd been in the same uh, house for 10 years, the same school for nine years, and had his friends, and wasn't keen on the change, was you may not appreciate it now, but you're going to thank your parents in the long run. And uh, uh, it does, it takes time to appreciate the benefit of things. And, you know, True to form, it's not like he sent us a thank you note right away, but I think yeah, looking back on it, he would certainly uh, say that it was uh, a beneficial experience, so much so that uh, you know, he's got a much younger sister, and he's very excited that she has had a similar opportunity. Yeah, I, I can imagine, and I know I've spoken with him before, and I know how valuable the move and the time he's spent over there was, so I'm sure he would say well, the same things. Well, and you know, reflecting back on yourself at uh, 13, 14, or 15, like he was or I was at the time we moved to Indiana, you're, you're so caught up in yourself and where you might fit in in some sort of pecking order or social uh, uh, model <laughs> that you're in uh, that, that uh, you don't appreciate decisions uh, that your parents either have to make or uh, whether it's uh, for your benefit, you're very short-sighted. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, you know, again, reflecting back, I do, I do think that, you know, it, it, it did provide um, um, uh, some skills that were transferable later. Then again, you know, if, if I'd had the same upbringing that you had or I'd been in the same city and I had this sense of permanence or, 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 or home, uh, I, I think that there would be benefit in that as well. Uh, it's, I was reflecting not too long ago on the fact that as much as I've moved around, it occurred to me, I've now lived in uh, Brussels uh, longer than any place that I've lived in my life. Uh, and I wouldn't have expected that. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess... I can only speak from my own uh, my own experience of, of being in the same place for a long time. And there's obviously a lot of benefit to it. And a lot of my um, my closest friends and I have known each other for years and we all sort of grew up together. But I also can see how beneficial it is to have those experiences early on and have the, you know, in ways I'm at times almost jealous of the 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 people who have been moving a few times and when I got to college, knowing people who had lived in different places because the um, sort of the magnetism back to a single place is not so strong. And it seems to leave the door very wide open in terms of uh, future steps and, and what they may be, where they may be looking for jobs, where they may be open to taking jobs. I know I I was really strongly pulled back to New York after college in order to be closer to home, be closer to these friends that I had grown up with who were all going to go back to New York. Um, turning back to you, it seems that once you got past the veterinary possibilities and were going to law school, and even before that, did you expect to return to Indiana? And what what was your um, your mindset 
sort of going off to college and thinking about the future? Was it was it completely open or were you pretty set on, okay, I, I found my place and, and I'd like to come back here? Uh, so having grown up in and around the Midwest, uh, primarily, uh, I always more or less envisioned myself uh, in the Midwest. Um, so uh, that's where I looked at university. That's where I, I looked at law school. That's where uh, when I began to interview with firms um, uh, as I was graduating, I was uh, focused. We had actually lived in a, a series of smaller towns and communities. So when I was in Columbus, uh, that was, you know, honestly, the largest city I had ever lived in. Uh, and then as I was interviewing with uh, uh, some firms, they were in kind of larger, mid-sized uh, uh, cities uh, throughout the Midwest, uh, Columbus, Cincinnati, say Milwaukee, Indianapolis. I, um, you know, I considered uh, um, uh, larger metropolitan areas like Chicago and, and my my son was born during the uh, second year of, of of law school. So by the time that my wife and I were looking for a place to go, we were a, a family. And uh, honestly, I think my wife, who had been born and raised in Indianapolis, uh, had more of a thirst for adventure uh, than I did in terms of well, let's try. Let's try Chicago. Let's try New York. Let's try Atlanta. I think she wanted something perhaps uh, a little bit different. Uh, but uh, for me, the idea of taking a job in Indianapolis was, you know, again, it was going to be the largest city besides where I'd gone to school that uh, I'd ever lived in. And I was I was. Uh, quite comfortable with that, and as we had a, a small child, we the idea of a more manageable city as opposed to uh, you know say uh, Chicago or New York at that time, where uh, had it just been the two of us, I think kind of a a downtown uh, existence would have been fun for a couple of years, but it was something that just didn't really uh, play out. Sure, and so you were working as a lawyer in Indianapolis, you have your family and um, I would imagine starting to feel settled in there. How did the idea and, and when did the idea of moving to Brussels get introduced to you? And did you have an ability to negotiate that or um, both in the location and whether or not you were going to be moving there? Uh, well, what had happened was I, I was with a large law firm in Indianapolis for about five years, at which time I was uh, presented with an opportunity to go in-house um, at a uh, company that was, uh, it was actually a French-owned company called Thompson Consumer Electronics, and its North and South American headquarters were located in Indianapolis. So I, I took a role uh, with the uh, legal division of this company uh, and was there for about three years. During that time, I was doing a little bit of uh, um, uh, international work, but it was primarily contracting and I was doing it basically from uh, Indianapolis. Was, I, was moving, was the possibility of moving rather than just traveling intermittently for work uh, always on the table when you took that job? 
Not necessarily that one. And one of the things that made that job uh, easier to take, uh, I was there three years and then I joined um, a a medical technology company uh, that was headquartered there in Indianapolis. And um, those two job changes um, uh, were, you know, it's a bit of a I don't want to say Hail Mary. You want to see how it's going to work out. You don't, you, you're not quite yeah. sure. I, one of the things that I would say that made both of those job changes easier to do was the fact that uh, the, I was uh, changing my uh, m- the place where I was working, and I had to point my car in a different direction in the morning instead of going downtown. I was going north or whatever. But I wasn't subjecting uh, my family, my wife and my son at the time, to the additional stress of a relocation. So it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to take this new job. I hope it works out. Oh, and I'm moving the family from Indianapolis to St. Louis or Indianapolis to Omaha or Chicago, where everybody had to adjust to a new circumstance. And there was a bit of a, well, let's see if this works out. So those two jobs changes actually were you know made much easier by the fact that I didn't have to relocate my family. Uh, the, the second of those companies I mentioned is a medical device company, um, was headquartered there. Uh, it was a spinoff of Eli Lilly, which is a large pharmaceutical company headquartered in Indianapolis. And uh, actually the uh, corporate headquarters was there and, you know, administrative offices, but uh, uh, there were really only about uh, 80 employees of this company, of which at the time when I joined it, there may have been eight or 9,000 located in Indianapolis. And one of the things that they made clear to me when I interviewed and, and joined the organization was, we want you to start here, but you need to understand during the course of your career, you're not going to be able to just stay in Indianapolis. You're going to... Um, you're going to need to be able to relocate, uh, likely to one of the uh, product divisions. Uh, primary product divisions were up in, uh, say, St. Paul, Minnesota, so the Twin Cities area, or Santa Clara, California was another one. There were other locations, but those were the two primary locations where most of the employees were. And this and, is th- when this gets introduced, this is the idea of relocating for multiple years, not something you could personally do, but you would have to move your family. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This is, you need to move your family and and work. Yes. Yeah. So this isn't uh, just traveling. This is, this is, you're going to move your family. And uh, I had made the decision to go in-house after spending five years uh, in private practice, which was, again, a great formative experience. I learned a lot. It was a very, very positive experience. But despite the fact that I thought, oh, I want to control my destiny and I don't want to have to move if I don't want to, uh, after a number of years, you start to kind of look around and you realize you can see your future. And that's a little frightening as well uh, to to, kind of look down the hall and and go, I know what I'm going to be doing in 30 years or 10 years, 20 years or 30 years. And I, I didn't take the comfort from that that I thought I might. Uh, uh, I, you know, I uh, like I said, it was a great experience, but I can't say that it was so much fun that I, I, I wanted to be the best. I, I actually had a transactional practice, did real estate law. I didn't want to be the best 
you know, uh, uh, mortgage lawyer in Indiana. Yeah. Okay, that that's great, but uh, I, I wanted more uh, diversity in, in what uh, I was dealing with on a regular basis. So that's what uh, caused me to go in-house in the first place. But, uh, you know, so then, you know, with this second uh, in-house job, I was presented with this uh, possibility of a move. And after a discussion with my wife, we were you know, certainly on board with that. Um, and, and, you know, again, the two locations, uh, and there were actually, uh, a, Brussels was mentioned kind of as an afterthought, but uh, the Twin Cities area of, uh, in Minnesota, lovely. Uh, yeah, I'd never lived there, so it's not like, oh, definitely send me there. And, and then Northern California, Santa Clara is obviously uh, very nice as well. Now, there were a little bit, uh, the economic aspects of moving from Indiana to uh, California uh, were a little bit frightening, but uh, I had a number of colleagues who'd done it, and everybody said that uh, you, you hyperventilate when you write the first few uh, uh, checks for the mortgage, but you get used to it, and because the lifestyle is great, uh, it, it's a very good place to uh, move. So I wasn't being presented with a couple of uh, options that I, I wouldn't, I didn't think that I could uh, uh, enjoy if I was yeah. put in that position. And also, as I joined the company. Uh, uh, they, they were uh, they had established a role uh, for somebody on the legal team in Brussels for the first time, and I joined the company, and they sent somebody over to Brussels, and, and so you realize that there was a remote possibility that the location could also be Brussels. Yeah, getting back to your point about the the guy down the hall who's maybe twenty, thirty years your senior, and feeling like you can almost see the future of your career. I went through something similar when I was working in uh, finance and I was sitting at a, a trading desk and it was the guy sitting directly next to me that was 20 years my senior. And it scared me to think that that was, and, and I would talk to him all, all the time about his day and his life and where he lived and all. And it, it was especially, um, it was especially intense because I grew up in the area and it felt like his, um, his children are probably going to grow up similar to how I did. And I could kind of see myself going into that position. Um, what, what really turned it for me was that the certainty about my career and how much time I was spending in the job was, um, was really important to me that, that I was doing something I cared about and that I felt like I was going to be excited and motivated to come to work and, and to further my career and seeing where that could lead and where ideally it would lead had I, if I did a good job was almost too much for me to bear that I could, that there was no uncertainty. It felt like it was out of my, my control almost that I was just going to follow this path. How much did you, I mean, you brought up not wanting to be the biggest mortgage lawyer in Indianapolis. How much did your own feelings about your career influence that? And yeah, did, did you, did you have this, um, was this career motivated that like you felt like going and taking the risk of being in house and possibly getting moved would give you career possibilities? And, and was that a, a big part of it? Well, it, it, it was definitely, uh, you know, influenced by how I felt about my career and the, that the element of inevitability that you mentioned was a, a, you know, a big part of it. You could see what was going on. 
There was also that when you were uh, a private practice lawyer, uh, you work with a you know a, a great diversity of clients, and uh, you know some of them are better than others. But there was also the aspect of you know, when you you do that, you, you could you realize that certain people look at you like almost you have a number on your forehead, you know, yeah. and they, they're like, "I'll let you know what I need when I need it," but they're afraid that you're billing them you know, for uh, unnecessary services sure. or, or just you're weighing in at a time when they don't think you do or when you need to. And I was sitting there thinking, well, you know, I've got some thoughts on these other things as well, as opposed to the, the this narrow band that you want me to focus on. So one of the uh, aspects of moving in-house was uh, dealing with I, so I hadn't gone to law school with the idea that, oh, I'm going to be a litigator or I'm going to, uh, you know, criminal law. I was a business person and I went to practice basically business law, but I wanted to be able to participate in uh, other aspects of the business other than, say, the narrow niche that I was often forced into from private practice. Uh, so th it was uh, an opportunity to expand my role. Honestly, you know, uh, I, I can't say that uh, there was a grand plan career-wise as to how this was uh, going to work out. So, you know, I, uh, I, I, when I went to interview for the first in-house job, I almost surprised myself where I hadn't been looking for a job. I didn't even have a resume together, but I had a friend who was up there and he called me and said, I don't know if you'll be interested, but we've got this position. I went up and uh, talked to them and I realized that you know, all I could think about was leaving as opposed to staying. So, you know, it was That's one a good of those. Sign. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you don't realize how much you're basically repressing maybe your true feelings about where you are. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I was there for three years. And again, it was a, a positive experience. But uh, I had actually been called after uh, about a year and a half by a friend who was with the medical technology company. And he was calling me uh, more about the job he was leaving with the pharmaceutical company than where... Uh, he was going because uh, he thought I would be a good match for that. And I told him I was more interested in where he was going than where he had been and to let me know if there was an opportunity that uh, came up there. And fortunately, it did a little over a year later, and I was able to join that company. And then just talking about, you know, what motivates you, going from one company, you know, again, a consumer electronics company to a medical technology company, it, it was the pace of change and you know both of them are technology companies but you know, there's a lot more psychic capital you know working for a company that's products uh save and improve lives and somebody who makes a really kick-ass uh dvd player yeah, sure. uh you know so, so it just you know there, there was more motivation associated with that and i i feel you know very fortunate you know often i feel uh, very much like uh, that feather floating in the wind in Forrest Gump that, uh, you know, oh, I was going to be a veterinarian. Oh, I have allergies, so I'll do this. And then I decided to go to law school and just kind of on a whim because I already have a business degree. Well, you know, I like the people I was learning from. I like the uh, people I was learning with. And it was a career that I, I, I kind of, you know, fell into that I enjoyed. I had a good experience in private practice, but I was happy to go. 
uh, uh, in-house, and I was enjoying that. And then I just fell into an industry that uh, is very rewarding on a number of levels and and feel beneficial, but I, I can't say that there was a grand plan to get me there. Yeah, I'm not, as I've kind of gotten older, I'm not sure that um, even the best plans are are met by most people. I think, you know, you kind of have to take things as they come, especially when you have a family and you have other people who are depending on some of these things and you meet people who have had experiences that affect you. If, if you're not really open to changing things around and seeing where, where life takes you, it's kind of a, a shame because at what point are you going to write up this grand plan? Is it right after college when, you know, you're as naive as, yeah. as you can really be as an adult? So I don't know. Usually right after college, you're more certain about everything. You just don't realize how wrong you are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so what was the day like when you were approached with the move to Brussels? And how did you communicate this to your family? And, and what was their reaction? Uh, so I had been at uh, the medical device company for uh, three or three and a half years uh, when uh, I found out that uh, uh, my colleague who was uh, in the Brussels position at the time was going to be re relocating to another position. And uh, they, they, they were looking to uh, send somebody over uh, to Brussels. Um, as you might imagine, that was a relatively attractive assignment and a number of people's hands went up. Uh, I was one of them, and and, and they, they, you know, uh, had just kind of an internal discussion and vetting process, and uh, uh, for some reason they picked me, and I feel very, very fortunate that they did. So that was basically. Um, uh, were they were they only looking for an American, or were you battling internationally for this role? You know, at this time, actually, they were looking for somebody within the organization. So uh, more, you know. The role was responsible for um, the legal and compliance matters uh, in the EMEA geography, EMEA being Europe, Middle East, Africa uh, uh, geography, and it was based in Brussels. And so you're talking about a number of jurisdictions and uh, what was more important to the company than somebody who was qualified to practice law in, in Belgium or France or Germany, because you had to deal with all of those uh, countries, is to have somebody who was familiar with the company, its risk profile, what it would put up with, what it wouldn't, who to contact internally to make sure that things got done. So uh, at that time, uh, the organization did not have any non-U.S. lawyers, uh, and you know, they were going to be making the hire uh, internally. Uh, so yeah, that the, the, the competition were other U.S.-based lawyers. Sure. And did you, had you been, had your family been to Brussels or to Europe at all when you were, um, when you were raising your hand to try to get this? So there had been a, you know, I, I had traveled here uh, myself with my wife uh, uh, on a uh, three-week trip after, you know, kind of a celebratory uh, trip after I finished uh, law school. That was the first time I'd traveled abroad. Um, and then, you know, there had been a couple of instances uh, before that I had uh, worked on a project internally 
uh, at the company that had caused me to come over to Brussels on one or two occasions. And then uh, as uh, a family, we had traveled to Europe uh, with my son uh, a year or two before. So we had traveled a little bit, uh, not extensively. Uh, my wife had traveled uh, to Europe uh, with uh, her sister when she was in college for six weeks. So when I came home with this possibility and, and uh, uh, the fact that I was going to be pursuing this, my wife was extremely keen uh, uh, to, for this to happen. Uh, we kept the discussions uh, between ourselves, not knowing if it was going to happen before we had the discussion with our son. And that, that was always the most difficult part. You know, so here we were, you know, at the time we were, say, 38, 39 years old. We had uh, a son who was about 12. Uh, we thought it would be a great opportunity, uh, but, you know, we uh, also knew that it would be while uh, potentially beneficial, disruptive uh, to his existence. So uh, it was only after I was offered the job that we had the discussion with him, and he was uh, supportive uh, just because <laughs> he probably didn't feel like he had the uh, uh, right not to be. Yeah. Uh, so he, he was supportive, but... It is the difference of, you know, when you're making that move, like I said, I'm sure I don't give my parents enough credit for all the thought and consideration that went into the assignments that they took. It was the most challenging aspect of the uh, of making the decision was trying to understand the impact that it would have on him. That makes sense. And I think from your earlier discussion about your own move, I can see how it could be you know, you can empathize with his reaction and, and how he's going to feel having to move. But was there any doubt between you and your wife that this was the right choice for him? And was it more just trying to explain to him and figure out how to manage those disruptive factors, like finding the right community to be in so that he can make friends and things like that? Or were you seriously thinking maybe this isn't the right move? Uh, well, there there is always a little bit of doubt, but sure. again, going back to the fact that we had taken a or I had taken a role where I knew I was going to have to relocate uh, sometime. One of the things that definitely factored into it is if we're going to relocate, this seemed like the best move uh, for him in terms of moving uh, to an international community. We moved him, and he started at uh, an international school, large international school, with a. 1,400 students, you know, basically um, uh, pre-kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, so uh, it's a, a very dynamic environment, but it's also a school where, say, there's a 30% turnover every year. Oh, wow. Just the, the very, because of the international nature of uh, the student population, there are people coming and going all the time, which is both challenging and beneficial. Uh, you know, new people are readily accepted just yeah. uh, because everybody else has been new recently. Uh, and we certainly perceive that it would be much easier to move him into that type of environment than to, say, try and uh, integrate him into a school in Minnesota where the kids had all been together since grade school sure. or, or, or California. You know, And those uh, particular environments might be more 
um, uh, have more movement than, say, where I moved to in Indiana, but at the same time, we just perceived uh, that that would probably be a better situation. There was still worry. I mean, we, you know, I, we, we could have been rationalizing, oh, this is why it's good for him. And, and honestly, he, uh, he always took advantage of the opportunity from, you know, from the beginning, and it was a tremendous opportunity. Um, How long did you think you would be there? Uh, so we were sent over for what what I would say is a typical expat assignment, which was three to five years. And this is one of the things that I did is, you know, as we were coming over here, he was just starting eighth grade. And the discussions that I had with uh, uh, the human resources department at the company was, look, my son is is uh, uh, just starting eighth grade. Uh, it's supposed to be three to five years. Uh, as long as we like it and, you know, you're obviously pleased with me, you'll either leave us here uh, for at least five years, or if you don't, you'll move us back to Indianapolis. Because I did not want to be in a situation where uh, I moved him with a year or two to go in high school to a, a community that he had no connection with. And fortunately, I did uh, uh, get support from the company in that regard. Uh, I enjoyed the position. Uh, the company appreciated what I was doing here, so they uh, th they generally left us here. Uh, early on, again, he took advantage of the opportunity, but I would say during those first uh, two or three years, if I had told him that they were getting ready to send us back to Indianapolis, he would have probably started swimming uh, to get there before us. Uh, but, but, you know, by the time he was finishing high school, he, he knew that the advantages that he had obtained by being yeah. here were uh, something that really was working in his favor. And again, he had a great time. It's just that every time he went back to his hometown um, during those first few years, it was um, this, uh, it was it was a party. I mean, there were, you know, there were parties and sleepovers and lake houses and things like his perception of what it would was like to live uh in indianapolis was very skewed uh by the the brief periods that he was there and the activities that were going on it wasn't the grind that you have just day-to-day -day existence going to school yeah and and at that age you don't know anyone else who has um i guess the impact of being able to live in such a different culture and meet all these different types of people has not really come back around and affected your life. So I can imagine that, you know, his friends that he sees in Indianapolis have this strong friendship and, and they get to hang out together all the time. And what he has been able to see and people he's been able to meet and his view on a lot of things, he can't really use that as much when you're 13, 14 years old. And, you're, right. you know, so all you're seeing is the things you're you're missing out on. You don't really get to use, I guess, the the positives of um, of your own experiences. Right. And people are excited for you, but they don't necessarily relate. You know, they, they don't quite understand it. And, you know, there were, you know, honestly, one of the uh, things that happened early on, which uh, made uh, a very big impact. So, you know, I, I took the role uh, basically at the end of 2000. I moved over myself at uh, the, uh, early in 2001. Uh, my wife was teaching school and my son was tied up in school. So they didn't come over until they'd finished the school year in June. 
Um, the other thing that uh, uh, the, the, the curveball that came in during this time is we found out um, after we became aware of the assignment, after we accepted it, before, but before we moved over here, that my wife was pregnant, uh, which was uh, uh, a surprise to all of us. Um, so, uh, and at wife, that time, though, you're still thinking you're going to be there for three to five years. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, so uh, my son and wife came over in June. It was kind of a long summer because it was, uh, yeah, it, it took a while to get the internet hooked up. And even then it was dial-up. So you know, it, yeah. was, uh, it, it, was, it was the dark days. So it was difficult, more difficult to keep up with people. And then um, in, in September, uh, you know, 9-11 happened. And so shortly after we were here, and uh, th that had a pretty profound effect on, uh, you know, all of us. Uh, it, it did, you know, everybody throughout uh, the U.S. And, and around the world. But my daughter was born uh, four days afterward, and it was during the no-fly period. Uh, you know, so family couldn't come visit. We couldn't go see them. Uh, which was unique, but also to think of the impact it had on my son to be in an international school. Uh, and, you know, again, I'd mentioned the number of students there, you know, probably uh, 60 to 70 different nationalities represented there. And uh, the impact of that in being around people from different countries and cultures and as, as they uh, react was... Uh, quite different than, you know, what his peers like yourself were going through in the U.S. I mean, it was an awful day and there was a huge amount of uh, sympathy and empathy, uh, but it wasn't the same response as it was in the U.S. in terms of kind of the um, jingoistic patriotism, which again, I'm, I'm trying to be uh, critical, but uh, you know, driving around with flags hanging out of the pickup trucks in Indiana or, or things like that, saying "Let's go get them," uh, it, it was just a different experience. So um, you know, it was uh, significant. Yeah, I can imagine. And I, I was in the New York area, and it was um, it was certainly an intense amount of patriotism and and. Uh, you know, coming together. And I'm sure being away from that would feel, it would, it would be difficult. Right. And I, and I think my own experiences now being in London is, um, and part of it has been through the post 2016 election and just the, um, attitudes toward government since then and things like that. It definitely feels like I'm out of the conversation sort of watching, uh, did you personally, I know you, you spoke of your son, but were you personally affected by that? Was it difficult to um, feel as though, you know, you're unaware of the emotions that are going on inside the U.S.? And uh, did you have a way of keeping in touch with that? Yeah, I was, no, I was aware. It's funny how quickly you become aware of things, you know, aware of it right away. I was still on an email distribution list to uh, our headquarters in 
you know, I received a, a message saying, you know, something's going on in New York. And I called my wife right away and she started watching CNN. So we we followed it. And, and, and the difference is, like I said, there was a huge outpouring of um, uh, sympathy and empathy, but you also would get a slightly different perspective from uh, Europeans and others about, uh, but, you know, you know, the U.S. has got a few issues, you know, so instead of just we've been wrong and there's, there's nothing there, that you've had some issues. And then uh, my wife went into the hospital and gave birth, and unlike the U.S., it's slightly different here. You tend to stay in the hospital for uh, a longer period of time instead of, you know, discharging you within a couple of days. She was in the hospital, and uh, because of everything that was going on, it was amazing the amount of fear that was expressed to her where nurses within the hospital would stop by. And this is, you know, a week after uh, it happened, and they were asking what what Bush was going to do, you know, what's going to happen. There was a, a real fear about what the U.S. reaction to the situation was going to be. And, you know, they were willing to approach a woman who had just given birth, who was sure. not part of the diplomatic corps, to ask about it. So it was, uh, it, it was just interesting to get the perspective of other countries and cultures on uh, such a horrific event. Did that, uh, did that view surprise you? That the, the view of, because in the States, the attitude was sort of one unidirectional. It was, okay, we were attacked, and then what is the response going to be? With very, yeah. I think, very obvious, um, obvious somewhat disregard for. Yeah, the, it's not, it wasn't really if, it was who and when. Uh, yeah, no, I understand. It did, and it's one of the, you know, it's early on in my uh, time in Europe, but it, it, it is something that, you know, certainly uh, has opened our eyes and our minds to the perspectives, and it is the benefit of being in a truly international environment where you realize that there are multiple perspectives on the same situation and none of them are uh they're they're not even they're not sometimes they're diametric uh, diametrically opposed and generally not they're just coming at things from different angles and have different thoughts and it it it, it, it helps informing your own opinions on things and understanding the subtlety uh, of uh not just politics, but so many other aspects that we need to deal with on a daily basis. Uh, and and that, you know, that can be a challenge when you're immersed in a, a single, all-consuming culture. Yeah, absolutely. And feeling that yourself and having that appreciation for these various perspectives, how quickly or did, did you and your wife understand that that may be one of the benefits you're sort of um, opening your children up to that they're going to have something that almost you were you didn't experience as a kid uh, absolutely yeah you know, it was something that uh, we you know certainly appreciated when we were here you know, my timeline again is we moved here 
initially in 2001 uh, with uh, uh, the medical technology company uh, for three to five years. It turned out that the company was acquired while I was here. Went under contract first with Johnson & Johnson and then that deal uh, got changed and it was eventually acquired by Boston Scientific. So we ended up being here six and a half years. And then we went back to uh, the U.S. And we were there for a little less than two years before I joined another medical technology company, moved back almost 10 years ago. And I would say it was when we moved back that that, uh, you know, certainly became most evident. It was, and it was when we put my daughter, uh, who uh, was just going into first grade at the time, into a U.S. school. And you just realize how singular and overwhelming the the you know the culture can be in the middle of America uh, compared to an international school where it's uh, muted or dissipated because you have so many different cultures that are blending at the same time and you don't have a single uh, dominant culture yeah. uh, and, and where you know, you just realize. And the kids come to realize this too. You know, if if uh, if you're in the U.S., it's this music and this fashion trend and this food or something like that. Not that those things are wrong, but when you're in an international environment, there are uh, a subset of people who might like uh, that music, that fashion trend, that food. But there's this other group over here that likes this group. Uh, this fashion, that. And, and you realize it's not wrong, it's just different. And also you realize whatever you might uh, be participating in or like yourself is what you like. It isn't necessarily what's right. Yeah. And when the entire culture is focused on something, it seems like, well, that's, that's the answer. Uh, so, so the benefit of the international environment for the kids is the fact that they they realize it, it mutes those or doesn't mute them but it basically it, it, it just makes them mellower you know all these influences and you realize it's not right it's just a perspective yeah I, I'm these are the things that I think in a lot of ways I'm I'm jealous of and it's nice having gone to college I think this is the first time that most people experience this when you have a roommate who, for whatever it is, they put something different on their sandwich or they, you know, watch a different show at a different time. And it becomes clear that the way that you've been sort of trained and, and your friends and all is not the only way to go about life. Um, you spoke about the the schools and I know the international school is in a place like Brussels is like you said, so many people moving in in and out, so many different um, types of people. How did you sort of approach that same thing for yourself and your wife and, and your family outside of school in terms of interacting with the Belgian culture? Was there a, um, I know I see certain neighborhoods within London have certain personalities and um, where I'll decide to spend different time may have different communities that are either populating it or certain things that are more diverse. Were you, I mean, I guess the question is, is both how did you view it in terms of being there for three to five years and what you expected? Um, and were you trying to jump into a 
Belgian sort of existence and get to know Belgium or was it uh, more international? How, how did you view that? I, I would say we viewed it more from the international aspect. Uh, the Belgians are very nice people and it's a, a great host country. They are quite reserved. Uh, also, when you think that uh, within, say, Brussels, you know, it's not just the school, but because of the presence of the European Commission, um, uh, as well as NATO and multinationals, you have maybe 30% of the population that is from someplace other than Belgium. So you have people coming going all the time. And I would say as a result of that, the, the, the Belgians are relatively reserved. So it's not like you show up and they're like they embrace you as a new friend. They're like, uh, I think the attitude is generally, you're going to be gone in two years, so I'm not going to make the effort. Um, I would say that, you know, we found our community uh, through the school, you know, the large international school. And it, it, it's not different. So many of your friends in the U.S., you, you make those friends, you uh, either through work or you make them through the kids' schools because you're, you're around those people and you're on the same, uh, basically, stuff. So we, we um, uh, at the time we moved in, we, we basically, uh, with my son's involvement in sports, things going on in school, other things like that, we, uh, it was nice to uh, meet so many different people from different places who were also open uh, to looking for friends because they may be relatively new or uh, not from uh, uh, yeah. Brussels themselves. So I would say that that's where we found our community. Certainly there were uh, colleagues from work. Uh, I, I Working for a U.S. multinational, I, I worked in an office with about, uh, say, 200 different people. In that office would have been 15 different nationalities. Uh, though it was a U.S. company, there might only be half a dozen of us there that were Americans. Uh, and then you have people from Germany, Italy, the U.K., Sweden. I mean, it's all over. Uh, and, and it was interesting to, you know, to be in that environment. And at the school, it was the same thing. Now, it, it is easy if you want to, to fall into a pattern where you only hang out with other U.S. expats or other people who are very similar to you. Uh, and there are certainly areas uh, around Brussels that have a higher number of expat uh, expats living in the area. Uh, I would say that, you know, my wife and I uh, decided that we didn't necessarily want to live in an expat ghetto. We wanted to you know, live more in a Belgian area. Uh, it didn't make us a lot of Belgian friends. Don't get me wrong; <laughs> they didn't bring over a plate of cookies and well, welcome up. I'm to sure the you wouldn't. I'm sure you wouldn't have made more being in the expat neighborhood, right? Yeah, and then you know, but and then the the friends that we made through school tended to be people. Uh, and certainly, there were Americans, but we were looking for other people, and we have very good friends that were Swedish and. Polish and Canadian and uh, uh, Italian and uh, so so uh, th those were the opportunities that we looked uh, for and, and jumped on and uh, you know it was it was uh, th they were there to be had and was that new for the two of you yeah <laughs> uh, I, I reflect back on a uh, I remember we went to a dinner party. After we'd been here, it was in the first year that we were here, and it was hosted by a couple where 
She was English, but had grown up as a missionary in Africa. Her husband was Dutch, but he'd grown up in the UK. There was another couple where he was Spanish and she was German, uh, a, a Polish couple, a Belgian couple, a couple where she was from Kenya and he was Irish. And you look around the table and you think, I'm the most boring person here. But they're looking at you with the way that you talk, and it's like, oh, wow, look, somebody from the middle. That's weird. The flyover. <laughs> no, nobody ever stops in that part. Uh, and, you know, reflecting back on our time in Indianapolis, it was, uh, we had, you know, very intelligent and interesting friends, but it was a very homogenous group. Sure. You know, so, no, this was... This was something that we had not experienced before, and it's it, you know it was fascinating to be in that environment and to talk about you know issues that you'd not considered before. Did did you expect that, or was it because I'm sure having children and knowing everything that they're going to learn and pick up and seeing something like the effect of uh, September 11th and and the way people different people deal with that, I would imagine that the first thing that comes to your mind is how is my child sort of interpreting these different things but the personal effect has to be just as large i mean it's not like you had lived overseas it's not like you had had these experiences um were you expecting that you would be as sort of surprised and and learn as much as maybe in those like first few experiences of going to a dinner like that i can't say that i expected it I think the thing that both my wife and I really looked at when we were presented with the opportunity was it was a chance to live the life less ordinary. And it was just a confirmation that that's what was going on. Uh, it, I, I don't know what my expectations were. Uh, it, it was fascinating. And also, if you have specific ex expectations, I guess you, you you might go forward in such a way that you make that a self-fulfilling prophecy. So yeah. if it's like, oh, and I've seen a number of, I've had a number of colleagues uh, or you know friends from uh, the people that I've met through the school over the years, you know, I've had, People come and go in a year, uh, and uh, some because they didn't like it. Uh, others uh, just because the company called them back. Uh, other people have been here longer but never really settled in or always, um, you know, uh, associated themselves with a very small group of individuals who might be from their same country. I think you would be uh, missing out on an opportunity to do that, but it's all what you're comfortable with. Yeah. Uh, we we have enjoyed the opportunity to uh, make friends, and you know, as long as we've been here, now we have friends literally all around the world. Just because they've come, uh, they've moved on, uh, they've done their time here. They may have had uh, other international experiences as well, and it's uh, it, it, it's it's nice to know. I'm, I'm sure. Thinking about that, those first, um, I guess, not just you know your the birth of your daughter and and sort of the initial uh, intensity, I'm sure of September 11th. But do you have any memories of things right when you arrived that were surprising? Whether it be because they were more similar than you expected, or because they were far different and you were going to have a lot more trouble um, 
than you expected in in one way or another? Yeah, um, so I would say um, life gets easier all the time and the world gets smaller. Moving over here in 2001, um, it was, it, Belgium is a wonderful country, but it's also very bureaucratic and there are a lot of challenges. You just had to overcome those um, uh, at, at the beginning and it was getting comfortable uh, uh, with it. And the other thing that we came to appreciate, especially at, at that time, is so much about the U.S. is uh, about and built around convenience. Um, uh, you know, stores are open 24 hours a day. Uh, restaurants serve, serve all day long, you know, full menus. Yeah. Just, yeah, uh, there, there, there are foods that you can pick up to take home. And I'm not just talking about, you know, getting hamburgers or something like that. There is so much, especially when you have uh, a family where both, uh, both uh, uh, husband and wife are working, you know, there, you can manage that. I would say when we moved here early on, my my wife because she was uh, pregnant uh, and uh, because she was stepped out of her teaching job she wasn't working right away but it was a challenge to deal with things all the stores were closed on on Sunday uh, it, a challenge is probably a bit too strong it was an adjustment yeah an uh, inconvenience yeah an inconvenience uh, uh, restaurants generally didn't open until seven p.m. which you know, when you are just trying to feed a hungry 13-year-old and you've got an infant, just, you know, pretty much takes that off the table. The other thing was the meal uh, is an event uh, as as opposed to we just want to get something to eat quickly and get out of here. Sure. That, that generally uh, didn't happen. Now, again, I think things get convenient over time, but we also adjusted our own expectations. The fact that uh, stores were closed on Sunday you know, initially an inconvenience that meant you had to try and do everything on Saturday if you were going to do it together uh, uh, along with the rest of Belgium, which made things a hassle. But we, you really came to appreciate that Sunday was a family day. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah and, and things slowed down and you enjoyed yourself. There's what, what was much more where we, as a family, just spent time together and focused, which was very nice. Uh, I certainly moving to Western Europe from the U.S. was uh, probably an easier, you know, an easier move than some of the other moves that other people have made. You know, I, I think of some of the, your other guests, you know, whether it's to India or Tibet or something like that. And I remember early on thinking, you know, I can do Western Europe. I don't think I could do Asia. Um, uh, I have had a global role since I've been here uh, and have spent a great deal of time in Asia, and I love it. I'd go there in a heartbeat. Uh, but I, I think that there was a fear of how different it was, at least initially, uh, that it was something I didn't think uh, I could do. And uh, having made the change, even though it wasn't as different, there, there's enough that you, you know you're not in Kansas anymore. Uh, and you're constantly reminded of it. Um, but at the same time, you realize that if you can do this, you can do a lot. 
uh, and and it really opens things up. Yeah, and thinking about moving to Asia as opposed to Europe, um, the similarities between those two moves, I would say, the biggest is that you're you're far away from home, and having grown up in the Midwest, and your wife having grown up in Indiana, how did you? Um, how did you take on the challenge of having your family and the people that you knew back in Indiana? And as time has gone on from when you moved to Belgium, how have you sort of continued to keep those relationships? Because the people I speak with outside of, of this podcast or anything, I think that that's the biggest fear most people have is sort of losing touch and feeling very remote and and you've mostly talked about the um you know the challenges dealing with the culture and the changes that 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 requires how did you take on sort of just the basic idea of okay we're going to move far away where we can't return home in 24 hours or 12 hours or whatever it is well i would say your perspective of um time and distance gets adjusted you know before you moved we moved to Europe, you know, the idea of, oh my goodness, that's an eight-hour flight. That's forever. Anymore, you think about an eight-hour flight, and it's like, okay, I'm going to eat something, get some work done, maybe watch a movie. But, you know, it, yep. it doesn't seem like it was at a given time. And also, I, especially currently, it's between uh, Skype and FaceTime and email. The ability to keep up with people, just uh, instant messaging, uh, to keep up with people has gotten uh, a lot easier. Um, initially, uh, you know, we were concerned that, you know, it'd be expensive phone calls. Uh, but, you know, it was it was when email was starting you know, to be in general use in the early uh, 2000s. Uh, and I would say my wife particularly was a fabulous uh, uh, email writer. You know, it's uh, quicker than a letter and more instantaneous. And it's, kept an, un up it's an underappreciated skill. Yeah, yeah, kept up with her family very much. Honestly, one of the other benefits I had uh, initially is that the, the company that I was working for was based close to my hometown. So we went back not infrequently. Yeah. So we did have face-to-face -face time. We've also encouraged our family to uh, come visit us and have been fortunate that uh, most of them have over the years. Uh, there are certainly challenges. In, in the time that we've been here, I, I lost my father. Um, my, my wife's mother has passed away. Uh, and there are certainly the challenges associated with participating uh, as, you know, something like that is happening, you know, whether you have advance notice or not. Uh, but, and part of it is just, you, we get used to being far away and traveling. I don't know that it's radically different that we're, you know, here and somebody's in Indiana and, or, you know, they were in Cali you know, we would we would be in California and they'd be in New York. Sure. Either way, it's it's a bit of a challenge. You know, it's easier if you're right there in the community. So I, I think it's you know we we we've gotten used to it. Our family has gotten used to us being a little farther afield, and uh, we make the effort to connect with them as frequently as possible. Uh, and the the 
uh, the mediums that are available for us to do that anymore are so quick and easy and inexpensive that uh, uh, those walls are coming down. Yeah, I I have experienced the same, and it's been surprisingly um, surprisingly made me more connected to a lot of people. I think when it's so clear how far away you are, and and like you were saying, whether it's between New York and California, or even something like New York and Boston you can take for granted the fact that um, maybe you're not speaking with someone as frequently. And because right. I'm all the way in London, I'm much more likely for, for whatever reason to be uh, FaceTiming and, and keeping up with my family and, and everything that's going on and um, ensuring that I'm taking the trips back for certain holidays and things like that. So it is nice. And it's, it's sort of when, when I do make the trip back and I, I imagine this happens with you guys as well, there's a more of a focus on those relationships and being with those people who I'm not around as often. And it's almost like I, I appreciate that time in a way that some people who spend all their, um, all their time in the same town or, or, you know, a couple hours away, maybe don't have the same feeling about. Absolutely. My mother-in-law used to say that, uh, because in the summer, my, my wife and the kids, uh, would go back to the U.S. for five, six weeks at a time, um, and, uh, during, you know, between the school years. And my mother-in-law would say that she felt that she knew my daughter, uh, perhaps better than, you know, many, if not all of her other grandchildren, because when she was there, she was with her all the time. Yeah. And, you know, so it was, it was, uh, three to four weeks of uh, intensive uh, time and you saw just kind of the rhythms uh, 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 of somebody. So it, it, even if somebody is in town the entire year, they stop by uh, even a dozen times the, you know, or, or, or two dozen times. They're, they're stopping by and it's for sometimes only half an hour, sometimes it's a dinner, it's, it's you know, three hours. There are opportunities, but uh, when it's uh, a more consistent period like that, it, it, it really is a nice payoff for the, uh, the really spending quality time together. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have a question that is, um, I would say, personally driven more than maybe what others which are kind of like I think I would have expected to be asking um and that's kind of your relationship with the country so you just brought up that you maybe have spent more time in Brussels than any other single location I know that's been a lot of different places in the U.S. but how do you I'm someone who's read a lot of presidential biographies I um there's a lot of things about America that I am not only I wouldn't say just proud of but um that I think are extremely positive toward toward the world. And I think a lot of people would agree in that, in that um, just the ability for people to, the normal American dream type thing of, of someone, the ability for someone to really push themselves and get to a certain um, location in society. And I know that my experience with Western Europe is, well, there aren't actual barriers in place for certain things certain communities can can make it difficult for you to to join in or to um ingratiate yourself with just in general is there anything about being in brussels for as long as you have that you feel like um 
there's some part of being in America that you're missing, like some Americanism that you have sort of stepped away from. I mean, it, you're, um, yeah. It, is there any feeling like that? Yeah, that's a difficult question. I, you know, it's, uh, again, we enjoy our time here and we feel connected to Belgium, but at the same time, you also realize that you're living life on the periphery. You were not active participants uh, in, in Belgium to the same extent we would be, uh, say, perhaps in, in the U.S. But there, you know, I'm, I don't know if, you know, how actively we would be participating uh, as, as well. Uh, it's, you know, we, we still vote in the U.S. Uh, sure. Being here, we're, we're very much driven by uh, uh, the, the new U.S. news cycle and certainly what's going on uh, there currently. Uh, and, it, you know, it, it forms the basis of a lot of discussions, not only with our family back home, but certainly your, uh, your friends and colleagues here want to talk a little bit about your perspective as well to see you know, uh, as uh, fractious as the things as things are in the U.S. right now, you know how you feel about those. Uh, one of the things that I would say you also uh, come to appreciate living in you know in a community uh, uh, like Western Europe. You know, certainly in the U.S., it gets uh, portrayed as uh, either socialist or yeah. The perception in the U.S. is different, and it's also the perception that often the Europeans want to project to themselves. And there's a huge amount of tribalism here, too, uh, a huge amount uh, of it. And, and you also see, you know, you know, very positive things uh, about uh, uh, the, the countries, uh, but also negative things. Uh, you know, it, it's often we're taken to task by... Uh, uh, racism and, and how it manifests itself in the U.S. Well, there's a lot of casual institutionalized racism that you see here as well. Uh, and I, you know, many enlightened people see it as well. Other people uh, don't see it the same way compared to the challenges we might have in the U.S. Uh, so, so, you know, I don't know that I've answered your question. I don't feel that I've I'm missing uh, something. I think that my personality and my well, my family's uh, approach would probably be very similar if we were in the U.S. to what uh, you know how we exist here sure. and how we react to things. So, keeping on this note somewhat, what kind of things from America have you not let go of, or that have managed to? help you avoid some sort of homesickness? Do you continue to follow? You said you follow the news, and I think most people do because it's um, good TV or whatever. It, are there, do you follow sports back in the States? Do you eat foods that would be abnormal in Belgium, but you're able to find them and eat them? H have there been things like that that have kept you uh, so, sort of on an American mindset while in Belgium? Yeah. Well, uh, certainly I, I do follow, you know, follow the news. I do uh, follow sports, uh, you know, more college athletics than I do professional, but I certainly uh, pay uh, attention to that as well. You know, I, I'll say kind of the news feeds that I, uh, I, I tend to follow 
are, are you know, CNN, ESPN, Sports Illustrated, Vox, you know, but yeah. U, U.S. news feeds as, as far as what's going on, uh, again, in, in the athletics. Uh, it, it was funny when we first uh, uh, came over, uh, one thing that I didn't get a lot of uh, was country music. I like uh, a, a number of different types of music, uh, and you could get access to uh, uh, most of it here, but you never really heard country music. Um, and when I would go back to the U.S., uh, much to my uh, wife and uh, family chagrin, most of the time I would have the the radio on country music because I I enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, from a food perspective, um, there there were there are certain things that we have made a habit of of, of bringing with us when we come back. Uh, and it used to be, you know, I remember uh, the, when we first moved here, my colleague taught me that to do the suitcase in the suitcase where you'd go back and you, you'd pack your clothes in a smaller suitcase, take the bigger one, and you'd fill it up and bring it back. Uh, there, there are things that, even if they're accessible here, they're significantly more expensive, so you'd be bringing cake mixes or whatever peanut butter back from the U.S. Again, that is generally available. Our, our tastes have changed as well. Uh, sure. not, not that we still don't appreciate those, but we eat uh, pretty diversely. And the food here is, the quality of food is, is just fantastic. Yeah. So uh, th- th- there isn't something where we're like, oh, we really miss, you know, macaroni and cheese or something yeah. like that. It's like, no, no, we eat well. Yeah, I, I noticed very quickly, uh, one of the first things I noticed, and I was already afraid coming to, the UK, the, the food was going to be really bad because that's kind of the general um, attitude toward British food. But yeah. in in reality, the vegetables and the meat are just the same, if not better. And therefore, yeah. if I'm making my own food, if in some way I'm just putting a salad together, it's no different than what I would have been making in New York or in California. <laughs> And, and we, we, we are people who enjoy food, so uh, we, we tend to buy a lot of fresh stuff and do a lot of cooking. And, and, uh, and part of this is because I would eat out a great deal uh, in my former professional life. I, I didn't really want to go out to eat you know, yeah. when I was home. So we, we cook a lot of very diverse things at home. But uh, uh, no, the, the quality of the food and the options are just uh, phenomenal. That said, there are certain comfort foods from your youth uh that that you you just uh, you know <laughs> you can hardly wait to get back to you know it's hard to get uh, good barbecue and, and for all the wonderful options here it's 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 uh hard to find any uh, good mexican food uh so those are things that we kind of uh, uh focus on when we go back to the u.s kind of uh, that type of regional cuisine but it, it otherwise it's it's generally all available yeah i i couldn't agree more especially about the mexican food i living in san francisco got so much good mexican food and now there's i'm absolutely shut out there's like a burrito place but it just isn't isn't the same so i'm gonna go through a few questions now um shorter questions and and feel free to answer as long as you'd like on this same note is there a favorite food that you have or a favorite um dish or it might not even be a dish, some type of drink uh, in Belgium. So, so Belgium is generally known for uh, about uh, you know three things: chocolate, beer, 
and waffles. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it, it's funny. People in the U.S. they, they talk about uh, uh, a Belgian waffle, and that's actually a Brussels style. It's the Gaufre uh, Liège, uh, which is a chewy one that, that are really good. And again, the beer is phenomenal. The chocolate is, and also frites. We lived here for six and a half years, and we always thought, you know, we're not gonna go out and uh you know buy frites there are these you know frite stands so basically you know these fry places where they fry everything up and and now we find ourselves craving that occasionally where we'll go out and we'll uh, get the the frites with a mayonnaise based sauce and you know again you know from you know, the u.s perspective it's you know it's mayonnaise it's like oh it's, it's good so i mean it's fairly stereotypical to say those things but those are those are kind of the belgian uh staples yeah um is there something in the culture some type of i know in my experience with european culture they have a lot of events they have a lot of activities and things is there a favorite event or activity that you've picked up or uh, been a part of since arriving in brussels uh, yeah I, again i'm a, uh, a u.s sports fan um, um my son played soccer or football uh in the u.s and he played a little bit of football uh, uh you know here as well it is very exciting uh, when uh, either the European Cup or, or uh, the World Cup is going on, just to see the excitement uh, uh, from the different uh, fan bases and constituencies as, as they get into it. Again, I never played the sport when I was younger, but as I've gotten, you know, the longer I've been here, I, I, you watch um, uh, the news and you see the highlights uh, from uh, the Premier League or you know the the Bundesliga, and and, and it's got to be like somebody from Europe going and watching NBA highlights. It's yeah. what what they can do is almost impossible to relate to. So it's yeah, I, I, I've come to appreciate when those tournaments and the excitement uh, uh, around those comes about. Yeah, and the Belgian team is phenomenal. So that's, oh, that's always yeah. a help. Yes, it is. Is there any vocabulary that you've picked up while you've been in Brussels that is local? <laughs> my my language skills are very limited. Uh, um, I, you know, one of the benefits of, of bringing your children uh, to an environment like this is the gift that you give them that they uh, uh, speak uh, different languages. Uh, I get by with a little bit of Flemish. Uh, um, my French is not good and is usually mocked by my daughter if I do speak it, uh, but I can understand it uh, better than I say it. Uh, uh, one of the English terms that you hear often, and again, this goes back to Belgian bureaucracy, is uh, that is not possible. Uh, <laughs> which is the beginning of a discussion because you usually find out with a little further discussion it is possible but not, not, it, it, it's just the beginning of the discussion sure sure um on the note of your children's ability to pick up these languages have there been a big sell of europe for americans is often the ability to travel around has there been a, and I'm sure you've done some of, uh, some, if not a lot of that, and I definitely want to hear your thoughts on that, but has there been any specific trips that 
were surprisingly um, enjoyable or informative to places that you never would have visited had you been taking two, three-week trips to Europe every few years and, and continue to live in the States? Yeah, we've been very lucky that we have traveled uh, a huge uh, amount since we've been here and seen a lot of different things. And we often get questions about, you know, what's your favorite place? And it's like, depends on the season, what you're in the mood for, you know, so many other different things. A couple of trips that I would think, uh, there is a walled city in southern Germany called Rodenberg ob de Tauber, which if you're just here briefly you might not see, which is uh, spectacular, and we've been there in the fall. And then if I, I think of another trip that uh, um, it, it's, it's a destination that's becoming increasingly popular, but we went a few years ago to Iceland. And uh, it's a you know relatively short flight from here, about three and a half hours. And uh, it, it you know we went in February. It was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I bet. Um, so you mentioned several of your family members coming to visit at times. When people do visit, uh, what is what are the things that you? are most excited and that, that you put at the top of the list to show them? So in Brussels, there's the uh, Grand Place, uh, the, the old market, which is uh, uh, downtown. It's just, you know, a spectacular uh, uh, venue to visit, uh, a big square that is surrounded uh, by these uh, 17th and 18th century guild houses. It's really one of the great uh, uh, places to visit in Europe. Um, around Belgium, Bruges uh, is is really uh, fascinating as well. Um, it's it's a very touristic town, uh, but there's a reason it's spectacular. So uh, Belgium is great. The thing that is really wonderful about Belgium is the proximity. Uh, you know, because Belgium itself is a great country, but literally, uh, you know, in, on a train in an hour and 20 minutes, you're in downtown Paris. You can drive there in two or three hours. Two hours north, you're in Amsterdam. Uh, or, or you can head uh, east to Germany, and you can be in Germany in a little over an hour. So, so the ability to so quickly go to different countries with different cultures and distinctly different feels uh, is, is, is really, it's nice, you know, because yeah. uh, they're all wonderful in their own right and they're all different. And one of the things that you worry a little bit about sometimes is the, uh, the homogenous nature, you know, when you, you know, when you start looking at uh, uh, kind of the shopping streets sometime in, uh, in and around Europe, you'll see that, you know, they're kind of the same stores on the high street in sure. the UK that there are in France versus uh, uh, Germany. So it's nice to go to the countries and, and, and see their differences because uh, they all have very positive uh, attributes. Yeah. Um, is there something that when people visit, they're excited about that you think is just not worth it? The mannequin piss. What is that? Uh, it is. It is actually a. Um, uh, it's a, a symbol uh, here in Brussels. It's uh, very 
uh, well known internationally. It's a, a, a statue uh, of a fountain actually uh, of a small boy urinating. And uh, it's, it's actually only about uh, two feet tall and they dress it up in different things and it's sure. uh, in different outfits and it's located uh, 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 downtown. So it's, you know, it's easy to see, but uh, it is something that you go visit and you get kind of a big shrug. Really? Yeah. That's it? <laughs> yeah. That, that that would top my list. Okay, yeah, that was uh that was quick. So it sounds like you've had to you've had to go visit a few times, I would imagine. Um, just a couple more. Is there any are there any uh, things during the time that you moved, or maybe since since you've been there, whether they be um, movies or books or some type of music that you sort of associate with the move that you made and it could be maybe even before you moved some character in a, in a movie that you thought, you know, when I, if I actually move to Europe and, and we go live this somewhat unusual life, it quite reminds me of, I don't know, some story that you had heard. Is there anything like that that comes to mind that you sort of have, uh, I, I wouldn't say that there is a particular character or movie that I associate with our own existence. I, I would say, again, given the fact that we uh, have had uh, the uh, ability and privilege to travel extensively throughout Europe, uh, one of the things that I always enjoy in different movies is, as you see, uh, European settings or, uh, and you're like, been, you know, and ticking them all off, been there, been there, been there, yeah. you know, it, it's the appreciation for having experienced firsthand, uh, uh, whether it be Red Square in Moscow or, uh, you know, uh, Istanbul and the Hagia Sophia or, you know, Rome, it's, it's, it's fun, you know, to know that you you've had firsthand experiences uh, in these places uh, that uh, you otherwise would have only seen uh, in the film. Sure, and that perspective. I was speaking about this uh, recently with my mother, and and you hear so often, or you might read books about uh, Paris um, or some some Hemingway story about um, different parts of Europe, and having and I would imagine for your children, this has been huge, having that perspective of what it's actually like in some of those places and what the city looks like, what the, the culture kind of feels like, it opens up a different sort of set of, um, of books and, and stories and things like that, where you can interact with it a little bit more personally, because you actually can think back to, oh, wow, I I kind of know what that's like to be in that place. I can't, I can't yeah. imagine that character doing that in that place sort of thing. Yeah, it, and, and there are times when you're watching a film and, and you'll see a setting and you're going, oh, no, no, that, that wouldn't happen. Yeah. But, but as you say, you know, so you can relate to it and it just adds depth uh, to, to, to your experience with that book or that film. Sure. Um, and finally, is there, was there ever a moment while in Brussels or possibly uh, wherever it may have been, where you really sat there and said, wow, this was, this has turned out extremely well. I couldn't be happier about the fact that we've moved 
Um, I know you said you went back to the States and then returned again to Belgium, but was there, was there any moment that you can pick out that you said, wow, this, especially for the kids, for me, for my wife, for my family, this was really worth taking this jump? You know, honestly, I feel that every day. Um, we, it, it has been a very positive experience for us and continues to be. Uh, I see that my children are uh, different people and I think better people uh, for the opportunities that they have been lucky enough uh, to, to benefit from because they've lived here. Um, it, it, it's brought us as a family, uh, you know, very close together. But uh, I, I think that there's an appreciation on both of my kids' part of the opportunities that they've had. Because as you're back in the U.S. Uh, particularly, but, and it's, it's not just the U.S., so many people, if you live this international experience, you go back to your hometown, whether that be in Germany, uh, in northern England, anywhere and most of your neighbors and friends can't really relate to the opportunities that you've had because the, you know, even if they've been to Europe they went on a two-week trip or you know they spent a semester abroad or they didn't you know they don't uh, it, it's it, it, and it gives you an appreciation of the opportunities that you've had not that again you're better than them for that it's just you realize how fortunate you are to have seen so many different things. So uh, it, it, it really is um, uh, reassuring to see the opportunities that they have been uh, provided, I think in, in part because of the exposures that they've had to these international cultures. The downside to that is by exposing your kids to this sort of life, uh, you increase the likelihood that they'll live an ocean away from you when they get to make their own choices. Um, but that's that's yeah. what we'll deal with. Sure. I mean, I, I think that that's definitely possible and something that um, I'm sure your your parents and mine as well are wondering how that happened anyways, even though they didn't expose us to that when we were younger. So that's, I guess, part of it. Um yeah, well, Dad, thank you so much. This has been really great for me. I, I haven't really talked to too many people who have moved from the States to Europe and um, especially with a family and, and have such uh, positive experiences and seem to be as happy as they are having made that decision. So thanks for taking the time and discussing all of this with me. Well, thanks for the opportunity. I've enjoyed the conversation as well. Great. Well, uh, enjoy the day in Brussels and I will speak to you soon. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Settle the Far. All the music you hear comes from Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates. Find them on Spotify and SoundCloud now. You can find Settle the Far on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. While you're home quarantining, socially distancing, why don't you subscribe and give me a review? Let me know what you think. All the good and bad is stuff that I want to hear. Till next time, stay inspired, people.